Oh, welcome to the Sports Predictor Podcast. I'm your host, Al Walsh. We are brought to you by SportsPredictor.com, where professional bettors share their best plays. Get the winning edge by subscribing to the Sports Picks packages from long-term winning bettors. Once again, that's SportsPredictor.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at PredictorHQ. Once again, on Twitter at PredictorHQ. Today's guest, Lloyd Danzig, uh, founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors, which is a full-service uh, consulting company for sports betting businesses. Uh, and he's also the chairman and founder of Iced AI, which is a nonprofit organization uh, developing artificial intelligence for, for companies as well. Thanks for joining us today, Lloyd. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Pleasure to be here. All right. So in doing my research, as I do for mostly every interview, it's considered to be uh, one of the world's leading experts in machine learning for the gaming industry. So I guess, you know, given all your talents in that field, uh, what was it about sports betting that, that drew you in initially? I'll definitely take uh, that, that complimentary <laughs> description. And I, I think I'd have to really, you know, rewind the clock a, a bit here and sort of break down sports betting into, you know, it's two component parts, sure. the, the sports, the sports and, and the betting. And I think, you know, from a young age, uh, you know, what kid wasn't into sports, not not just for the enjoyment of, you know, watching LeBron James throw down an alley-oop, but, but more for the camaraderie and the relationships and, and the memories that are built around playing uh, and watching sports. And I, I just, you know, can remember as a little kid growing up, uh, going to Yankee games, uh, especially especially immediately after September 11th and feeling like uh, just the, the amount of camaraderie and, and electricity in the stadium, 55,000 people all, you know, rooting for the same thing who otherwise probably don't have anything in common uh, was just really magical to me. Uh, and then in terms of, you know, gambling and casinos, not not only sports betting, uh, you know, I've always been a, a math guy and I've always liked and, and been oriented toward numbers. And, you know, there are a lot of people who say anything you do in life is some sort of bet, is some type of gamble. You choose a university, a profession, a life partner, and you're essentially betting that that choice will be more fruitful for whatever your purposes are than the alternatives. And to me, a casino was always one of the only places where you actually knew exactly what the odds and the payouts and therefore the expected value of any given proposition is. A roulette wheel pays 36 to 1, but that but has 38 you know, possibilities. And, and that is all on the table, literally, for, for everyone to see. And so I, I think being sort of quantitatively and economically oriented, I was always fascinated by how the payouts compare to the odds and how people try to sort of tip the odds uh, in their favor. And then if you really fast forward to the repeal of PASPA here in the U.S. last year and what came with that was just a, a massive surge in cutting edge technologies, whether it's AI or blockchain or otherwise, uh, I think it was just sort of a natural, uh, very fortuitous coalescence of the technology, the economics and you know, deep down being a sports fan that, that really attracted me to the space. Sure. What a, what a great moment in American history, though, the repeal. Absolutely. I could not agree more. <laughs> so I'm always interested in talking with, you know, CEOs, or, you know, people that are right at the top. I mean, are you the, the type of guy that has a, a set schedule that you're working every day? Or are you also the kind of guy that, hey, three o'clock in the morning comes around, you got something to do that's urgent. Will you pop it on or how does that go for you? Yeah, sure. So, so that's a great question. And, 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 you know, for me, 
uh, for better or for worse, uh, weekends have kind of become a meaningless concept Very because true. I'm working from when I wake up until when I go to sleep pretty consistently. And, you know, I am always someone I can remember even back in college, I always felt like my philosophy was anytime I have anything outstanding that needs to get done. I want to do it right away because I never know what fun parties are going to come up and be yeah, scheduled yeah. that I can't anticipate. And that's a very juvenile way of describing <laughs> something that is actually, you know, a lot more relevant, which is just you can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen in your personal life and your professional life. And, and, you know, you know, do not put off until tomorrow what can become what can be done today sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. And where that can become a bit uh, unhealthy, if you will, is I, I have clients and colleagues and and people with whom I'm affiliated in basically every single time zone. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I know that if I check my phone, I'm probably going to see some email that has some action item in it. And then I'm going to have to get up and go on my computer and not be able to go back to sleep until it's done. So, you know, the one thing that I've found has been very helpful for me is sort of this idea of compartmentalization where I am not checking my emails all day, every day. I'm not writing computer code all day, every day. And I'm not, you know, reading over contracts all day, every day. I will say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this 20 minutes to reading and answering all the emails that I can in a short period of time. And then I'm going to move on to another task. And at 3 p.m., I'll come back and do another 20 minutes of email responding and writing. And I've found that has, you know, been a a lot less taxing and, and a lot more efficient of a way for me personally to work. That's so funny that you mentioned that too. Cause like I spent a couple months down in Miami. So it's funny. I felt like the best employee ever. Cause I'd get my work done so soon. And it's like, all right, now I could go golf. Now I could go hang out at the pool, you know, do these kinds of things. But yeah, it's funny that, uh, that it works out like that. Um, all right, let's talk about sharp alpha advisors, your company. Uh, what, what's the mission with you guys and how did that all get started? Yeah, sure. So so sort of our, our tagline or our motto would be, you know, we are a sports betting business and investment consultancy with a focus on companies that are deploying cutting edge tech. And, and we have essentially two audiences. Uh, there are companies, usually early to mid stage startups and founders, but sometimes later stage, more mature, even publicly traded companies who need help with things ranging from, you know, just working on their pitch deck or, you know, their investor materials to uh, getting regulatory approval for a certain set of products or services uh, to learning how to monetize the data that they've been collecting. Virtually anything that you would need to get from where you are as a sports betting or just sports tech startup to get from there to profitability or even to market uh, are services that we and the people in our immediate network uh, are are really experts at it. And, you know, whether it's someone uh, specifically under our, you know, employee who will do the particular services or whether that involves an introduction to a regulator, a lobbyist, a gaming commissioner, uh, a technologist, uh, we, we really facilitate all of that in-house. The other side of it is for investors, whether private or financial institutions, uh, and also whether US-based or international, who are trying to deploy capital in the sports betting space. And because it is such a complicated, nuanced space with a bit of its own accounting terminology, its own set of rules, its own set of KYC, AML regulations, uh, just just all the nuances, 
we're finding uh, a lot of dumb money sort of being thrown around, you know, chasing after the exposure uh, and just not enough informed strategic investment. Uh, and, and so those are really the two avenues uh, that, that we simultaneously approach. And one of them, each of those sort of helps strengthen the value prop to the other. The more startups that are on our platform, the more the investors are interested, and the more investors that are on our platform, uh, the more startups that are interested. And sort of the fortunate and very valuable thing that we're able to offer on top is I am very fortunate to be a keynote speaker and or panelist at most of the major sports betting and AI industry conferences. And through those events, I'm able to really keep tabs on how the industry is changing, what competition exists out there, what products and services there are, are an appetite for. And when you bring all of that long mouthful and laundry list of services that I just described together, uh, you actually get a really nice cohesive product that, that has added tremendous value for, for some of our clients. So when you talk about the investment part of these things, is that different companies that are that are trying to get in or is that companies trying to, to gain money from investors? I mean, could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So, so if you are a private investor who maybe is retired and is looking for ways to generate some extra returns, uh, if you are a small private equity firm that has historically had an appetite for industries like blockchain and cannabis and sort of these other alternative emerging 21st century industries, and you want to invest a hundred thousand, a million, a hundred million dollars in the U.S. sports betting space, if you are not intimately knowledgeable, A, about just sort of this ecosystem and landscape and how the suppliers fit with the operators who fit with the affiliates and whatnot, and B, knowledgeable about you know, legislation and regulatory requirements and how those are evolving, it would be very hard for you to really judge the relative value of two investments or even an individual investment. Okay. So what we will do is we will sit with you and, and help understand what it is that you're looking for in terms of exposure from your investment and then look at the pitch deck of a company that you're considering. We will sit in on actual pitches or conference calls. Uh, we will help bring in you know, gaming and securities lawyers and the like uh, to really help assess whether from a profitability or risk uh, or reputational standpoint, what impact is this investment likely to have on your portfolio as an investor or a financial institution? All right. Uh, once again, we're here with Lloyd Danzig, founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors. Uh, another question I have for you, for me, uh, you know, and a lot of other people out there who are the everyday sports better. Where where does your company come into play? You know, for for me and, and the guys that are just betting every day, not necessarily the companies. Sure, that that that's a great question, and I think uh, stepping back for a second, what people across the world should always be asking when new technologies start gaining a lot of traction is how will I be affected as someone who is not, you know, a practitioner of this technology. Sure. Uh, and this is something where I think there's a lot of exciting, positive ways in which you could be affected. And also there are some negative ones, but, but part of what I do is really try to push for the former. So for example, uh, if you have been a customer of a sports betting operator in the United States where there is legal mobile sports wagering and you've tried to place a mobile in-game wager or, or even one you know, on your computer, or even at a kiosk, what you may have experienced is a situation where you say, 
okay, I want to take uh, the Giants minus 135 money line with three minutes left in the game. I want to risk $10 and you press submit. And then you see a sort of a pending wheel, uh, kind of like a, you know, a loading screen yep. for like 10 seconds. And during that time, the sports book can reject your wager. They can counter it. They can partially accept it. And that generally is a function of the fact that their models are just not robust and efficient enough to put out accurate real-time odds with confidence. Yeah. So being able to leverage machine learning, which not only operates more quickly in real time, but also has this characteristic whereby you can do some of the processing or the training, as it is called, ahead of time, will allow your favorite sports books to not only put out more accurate odds in real time, but they won't have to have such a house edge baked in. You know, right now, uh, both sides of a spread bet are minus 110, but both sides of a live spread bet might be minus 120, 130, 140, because they just don't trust in their information and their models. So in addition to just a more seamless user experience and a lower house edge, there's also the possibility of there just being more markets to bet on that require more sophisticated modeling. Uh, for example, uh, if you wanted to sit at Yankee Stadium and every bat wager on the outcome of the next batter, yeah. even the next pitch, uh, that is not something that operators will really be able to do effectively without leveraging uh, machine learning techniques. The other aspect of it, or, or, or at least one of them that is more likely to be customer facing, there are a number that are, are really affecting the back end. Uh, right now, if you log on to your favorite sports book, you will probably see the same set of promotions that I would see if I log on. You know, get bet on the NBA and get a 10% boost to your payout, uh, do a MLB playoffs parlay, get a 20% site credit refund and the like. However, machine learning, similar to the way Netflix keeps you watching and Facebook keeps you scrolling, has an incredible ability to create more tailored, curated, and customized experiences that are better for the operator and for the customer. So I would look in the immediate future to have more markets available for a longer period of time that spend less time suspended. And then in a slightly more distant future, just a more curated, sort of personalized uh, online gaming experience. Well, that's interesting. You know, we were talking about machine learning and, you know, my next question was definitely about that. And I think you answered a lot of those in, about the live aspect of it. I mean, it's certainly frustrating to have that loading screen happen and, you know, you feel like you got the best odds going forward in, in the live or in-game, uh, you know, portion of that. And then, you know, with like two seconds left, you know, you, you're done. You can't, you, you can't even place your bet. So I guess from, I guess the pregame aspect, right? Like I, I'm, I've become, you know, more knowledgeable about machine learning over the last three, four five months, whatever it's been. I, I still find that some of these things are, they're pretty damn good in terms of not only the end game, but you know, the pregame aspect of this as well with the, uh, with sports being so, you know, moment by moment, you got injuries, you got coaching, you know, maneuvers and things like that. What is it about machine learning that is really, you know, making this such a, an effective tool in sports? Yeah, that, I, I, there, there's, there's a lot of really awesome insights sort of embedded in that point you just made, and it's a really great one. And, and I think one thing 
that, that doesn't have to do with machine learning, but, but sort of predictive analytics more broadly, uh, there's something that's important for people to realize. Uh, right now, if you wanted to bet on the uh, my, my New York Jets to win the Super Bowl, of God bless course, you. The very, God bless right, you. exactly. It's, it's, it's a painful <laughs> existence. Um, I believe DraftKings has them at plus 25,000 or 250 to 1. Uh, for every dollar you you wager, you would win 250. For every $100 you wager, you would win 25,000. And what that translates to in English is saying – if we were to play the season of the NFL going forward from this point 251 times, in 250 of those occasions, the Jets would not be the Super Bowl winner, and in one of them, they would be. That is sort of the translation of a 250-to-1 payout. Now, let's say you had a model, whether it was machine learning or, or otherwise, that said, actually, the Jets don't have a 1 in 251 chance of winning the Super Bowl. I think they have a one in a hundred chance, uh, which is much higher. That's about 1% as compared to about 0.4%. If you had a model that said the Jets are a one in 100 chance at winning the Super Bowl, whereas the odds suggest they are a one in 251 chance, you should place that bet every single time, even though as a one in a hundred chance, they will lose or not win the Super Bowl 99 out of 100 times. So really what predictive analytics and modeling does is not say this is a lock, this team is going to win, there's no way this team won't cover. Rather, what it is saying is compared to the probability suggested by the odds, this is a good relative value opportunity similar to the way you would describe an investment in the stock market. And that, over the long run, should account for the sort of any given Sunday nature of sports, especially American football, where just as you describe one little call, one injury, a strike of lightning, any little aberration can, can cause a major divergence from expected results. In terms of your original question, which is, it seems like these guys have been making pretty good odds for a pretty long time. Yeah. How much more accurate could machine learning really make it? Uh, the answer is you are probably right that for an event like the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or even a Monday night football game, chances are the machine learning models will not necessarily be so substantially more accurate in their predictions. Uh, especially given that, and I think I, I'm sure most of your customer, uh, sorry, your your um, your audience understands this, but sports books don't aim to put out accurate odds in terms of what is going to unfold, but they yeah. want to put out odds that will get a proportionally risk-free or risk-minimizing amount of money on both sides. Uh, and to that extent, you know, the odds at which a game like the Super Bowl goes off usually represent some sort of supply and demand market equilibrium in the uh, sort of wisdom of the crowd's perspective on the probabilities of each team winning. Uh, however, again, I, I do just want to reiterate, you, you are absolutely right that it does seem hard to get these money lines and spreads yeah. to be much more accurate. It's crazy when you're watching a game and a team's favored by five and a half and they're up by 30 at halftime and somehow <laughs> – they end up winning by six on a foul shot or something, it, 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 right? Every yeah, person yeah. who's ever bet on sports has had those experiences where it's just like, how could these bookmakers have possibly gotten that right? And, and to that end, I would agree with you that 
chances are uh, it won't be noticeably more accurate on the big ticket events. However, if you are looking at a Division Three football game or, you know, a fourth league Spanish soccer game where there is much less data and much less liquidity, that is something where the fact that machine learning can, for example, analyze larger data sets and identify nonlinear trends in ways that conventional mechanisms can't, you might see an advance in accuracy. But the real advance in accuracy is going to be the in-play odds. I mean, we just saw it uh, to start week five of the NFL season, the Thursday night game between the Seahawks and the Rams. I even tweeted about it. I go, hmm, this is interesting. It's 29 to 24, uh, eight minutes to go. If the Seahawks score a touchdown, you know they're going to go for two. The line is going to come down to this two-point conversion, uh, you know, because it was one and a half in favor of the Seahawks. And I, I even said it. I'm like, the line is going to come down to this. You know, the Seahawks will go up one, and whether they get this two-point conversion or not is going to depend on whether you cover the spread or not. Point, like, fast forward to, to you know, the end there, and the Seahawks didn't get the two-point conversion there, and they did not cover the spread. Not only that, you had, you know, Rams betters looking for the money line win there too. Uh, you know, they missed that field goal there at the end. So just that, I felt like that was absolutely brilliant. And not to mention... I believe the line opened where it was uh, Rams minus one and a half and it ended up moving three points in the Seahawks favor. So very right. Well, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it, so that, that is absolutely true. And, and you're right. If, if, if you or any of one in your audience, if you take some time to go on a sports book, whether it's onshore or offshore, that's producing legitimate live odds, especially as the game progresses and you're into that last one or two drives in an NFL game, for example, the odds will almost always uh, sort of converge upon those major field goal, two-point conversion, or touchdown milestones. Uh, for example, you know, if you look at the last Super Bowl that, that we had in, in February that, with the Patriots and, and the Rams, what we had there was a crazy situation where almost every book had a model that said this game should be about pick them. If this was a new, you, heard, you see people tweeting all over the place in January and February. If the Rams and the Patriots played each other week 12 at a neutral site, it would be a pick them game. That's what everyone was talking about. And what they really underestimated is the Patriots and Tom Brady bias that most football betters in the U.S. have. Right. So very quickly, the lines came out, and about 80% of the action, both in number of tickets and dollars, was on the Patriots. And you saw the books starting to move. Minus one, minus two, minus two and a half. But none of them wanted to move to minus three because that's a field goal. And minus three is a big difference from minus two and a half. Yep. So some books were offering minus 125 juice on the spread on the Patriots, still getting 80% of the action on the Patriots. And they all took a financial bath, so to speak, after uh, the way that <sighs> game unfolded. And that's actually a problem that a lot of the New England bookmakers are facing right now where – they don't seem to be able to make the odds unattractive enough for people to not bet on the Patriots. Uh, but like you were saying, uh, it, it is absolutely the case that there's an enormous amount of both psychology and sports knowledge based in creating these lines. And I think what that really ladders up to, which is something I'm a major proponent of, is although AI has really cool applications across the industry, we are not at a point where we should be applying sort of a set it and forget it mentality. We need computer plus man, a man plus machine uh, to be overseeing these models and layering on 
uh, a more psychological and behavioral perspective on the U.S. sports better or whatever jurisdiction the odds are being made on, uh, because exactly what you're describing. Uh, a model may not have the knowledge that you had watching that Seahawks game of the way this would inevitably unfold. Nah. All right, uh, we are here once again. Lloyd Danzig, founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors. Now, one of your uh, clients, Trend Sports, just released a, a new app. Now, I got a chance to check this out a little more in depth. I believe I'll be a customer if I can find it on the Android device. So I guess, first of all, <laughs> are you guys just on Apple? And uh, I guess, you know, just for the audience, can you explain uh, what that's all about? Yeah, sure. So uh, it is currently, uh, it was released uh, last, uh, about two weeks ago, currently only on iOS, working on an Android build. Right, I'll have build. to get it on my girlfriend's phone. That's yeah, right. it, it, that, that's, that's what girlfriend's phones are for, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so so what Trends Sports, T-R-N-D-S, uh, what they do is, is they are sport radar powered. Uh, they actually are a, a member of the Sport Radar Accelerator program, which oh, means, great. among other benefits, they get access to Sport Radar's data, uh, which, of course, is you know of the highest integrity and, and, and quality, and also of the lowest latency. Mm -hmm. And what they allow you to do is stack different filters together. So, if you wanted to very quickly and easily see. Uh, how are the Patriots performing against the spread over the last seven seasons coming off a bye against a divisional opponent? It is really one of the quickest and easiest and most intuitive ways to see what that system would have performed like in terms of you know winning percentage and then also quickly get, uh, giving a glance into each of those games that, that sort of added up to that uh, you know, seven and three record against the spread uh, or whatever it was. Uh, and the way the app is currently structured is anyone who downloads it can currently do 25 free searches uh, with different combinations of filters per month, uh, after which you'll, you'll hit a paywall and be asked to pay $5.99. And the idea and the hope is that there are so many customers out there who would love to do a little bit more research and have a little bit more conviction uh, in their sports bets. And uh, in fact, there are some people who feel that the best aspect of betting on sports is that it's a lot more fun to say, I told you so when there's money on the line, because okay. anyone can say, I told you so when there isn't. <laughs> and, and this really speaks to, uh, you know, maybe not the sharpest of bettors, but the sort of casual handicappers and people who understand how different aspects of a sporting event will contribute to the odds or the likelihood with which a team will cover lets you very quickly quantify that type of research uh, and hopefully use that either socially and in a friendly way uh, or in, in an actual profitable way in terms of creating actionable and, and profitable betting systems. So I saw that, uh, you know, you do speak at a lot of these different conferences. Uh, recently, you were at the AI Summit there in San Francisco. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, as we can tell from, from talking uh, on this interview, obviously, you're a great speaker and everything. But how, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you like doing all these different conferences? And uh, what did you take away from this most recent one in San Fran? Yeah, sure. So, so I, I appreciate that. And I love the conferences because it, it allows me to share my thoughts and, and also learn from other people from all over the world, from people who are applying AI to all different industries and also to people who are applying technology to the sports betting industry, but maybe from a different angle. 
Uh, for example, I, I recently spoke at a conference for the International Association for Gaming Regulators, educating regulators from 25 different countries on how machine learning is changing the industry. And unlike the conventional conferences where people want to know about profitability and customer retention and user flow, they want to know about KYC and AML and fraud detection and responsible gaming. And so it's really fascinating to just see how different people from different parts of the world are thinking about these things. Uh, the AI summit that you spoke of uh, that was in San Francisco on September 25th and 26th, uh, that was not at all a sports betting conference. That was a very high tech artificial intelligence conference that had discussions about facial recognition and quantum computing and robotics and all these very futuristic uh, you know, technologies and, and the companies that are providing them and exhibiting them. And I presented on the evolving role of machine learning uh, in the space. And what, what I really took away from it is that, first of all, People who are really sharp, really smart engineers, really smart entrepreneurs, really smart innovators, they are fascinating to have a conversation with, even if what you're talking about is a bit outside their wheelhouse. Yeah. Someone who really understands not only the mechanics of machine learning, but the business applications of it can have an interesting conversation with you and say, uh, I work for NASA and I apply machine learning in these cases, but I can see how you know, these different steps or these different challenges would be relevant to you. Well, so, yeah, so that I, was, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, with MLB and StatCast, it, that's about like missile tracking, you know, the, the company that did that. So that, I mean, the two, the two uh, worlds can certainly collide. You're absolutely right. And, and, and the thing, and I'm, it's funny that you say that because the thing that was of most interest to uh, the people at, at, at this conference uh, is very similar to what you're describing. Uh, I showed a few videos uh, that were originally debuted at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference back in March of three different sort of famous sports scenes. Uh, the first is Michael Jordan's Game 6 of 1998 against the Jazz. Uh, the next was Odell Beckham Jr.'s famous catch from Sunday Night Football, the one-hander yeah. against the Cowboys in 2014. And the third was uh, a Germany-Sweden World Cup uh, free kick from the 2018 World Cup. And what I showed is how a computer vision system can keep track of not just where each player is on the field or court at any given time, but where their knee, wrist, elbow, ankle, head, neck, and torso are how fast they are moving and in what direction. And the place that the intersection of AI and analytics and sports betting really converged here is people realizing that a lot of these computer vision systems are being used to, on a soccer pitch, for example, keep track up to 25 times per second of where each player is, which direction they are moving, and how quickly. And sometimes in even more granular sense, where each of their different body parts are and how quickly those are moving. And you can imagine historically what was considered money ball, you know, in baseball, for example, is favoring on base percentage over, you know, power hitting numbers. That takes on an entirely new meaning when the type of data that you have to analyze doesn't only show you who scored a goal and at what timestamp, but where on the field were the other 21 players at the goal scorer what path did they take and at what speed over the last few minutes? And you can imagine both from a betting perspective 
from a broadcasting perspective and from a general manager's perspective, how valuable those types of insights will be. So those were some of the cool conversations that we were having at, at that conference in San Fran. You know, and what's even crazy is that we just saw a San Fran player uh, register the highest uh, miles per hour on Monday Night Football uh, when uh, Matt Breda, I believe he, he scored on the opening play for the Niners. I think he hit, what, like 23 miles per hour on that, on yeah, that opening it, touchdown run? That, that that's that's exactly right and and you know whether you know people have been used to artificial intelligence infiltrating their sports viewing experiences in ways that most people don't know uh what you described with with the mlb if you see a home run being tracked for example but even preceding that anyone who's ever watched the olympics has probably you know you watch michael phelps swimming and there's a yellow line yeah. that's moving <laughs> along the pool that shows you what the world record is those are the rudimentary forms of computer vision, which is the field of AI where machines learn how to see and interpret that, that have been in, in play for a while. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, ESPN sort of do like a 360 rotation around an axis, oh, I love clearly, that. I love right? That, yeah. Clearly, they didn't have cameras that captured every single one of those pixels. They had to use some inference between cameras. Uh, these are all ways that AI has been used to augment the viewer and fan experience for a while. And now they're really being quantified and you know put into spreadsheets and databases yeah. that can really be mined for for patterns uh, to be utilized in mass. So I'm like the the very first use of it. Would we consider that when the NHL did the you know the laser puck thing when they it's put so, the chips in the puck? It, it, it's so funny you say that because sometimes <laughs> I almost feel like I'm a little old when I when I reference that <laughs> the the puck tracking system that I believe it was it was called Fox Tracks. Yeah. And I think they debuted it in the NHL All-Star Game originally. They did, originally. they did, yep. And, and for anyone who is not aware, you know, if you've ever watched hockey in person, I think it translates the worst to TV. I love going to hockey games. I do not really like watching on TV nearly as much. And one of those reasons is because it's hard to follow the puck. So during the All-Star Games a, a little while ago now, there would be a, I, I think I remember it being purple, a sort of purple glowing almost comet tail that would yep, follow yep. the puck around the ice and you as a viewer would have a much easier job of seeing it. And, and yes, that absolutely was probably the first widespread, you know, enterprise level application of computer vision and sort of almost a rudimentary form of augmented reality uh, that was being used in sports. And uh, it, it didn't work well, uh, or at least viewers didn't seem to like right, it. Right. I would have enjoyed it. Uh, but you are absolutely right. And anyone who has seen a home run trajectory being tracked should quickly be able to put together how those are part of the same sort of framework. All right. Unfortunately, we are we are nearing the end of our time here with Lloyd Danzig, founder CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors. Uh, but this, I've been doing this on the last couple podcasts, uh, you know, with a lot of the with a lot of the people. So I love asking this question. I've gotten some great answers on it, but I got to ask you as well: uh, if you could, if you could create the perfect sports book, what would that look like, and uh, who would be your uh, spokesperson for doing so? Wow. Wow, that is a that is a great one. So, uh, you know, you know, for me, I, at the beginning, I mentioned how the best part about sports is the camaraderie and the relationships, yep. no matter how short lived. You go to your favorite sporting event, you're slapping high fives with someone you would have no <laughs> business talking to otherwise and will never see again. You go to the bathroom, you're all best friends, chanting yep. Red Sox suck or whatever it is. And, and so for me, 
I, I think that that is only exponentiated by a sports book where you can be around other people who are betting on similar outcomes. And, you know, it's funny. You see a sporting event where from an outside observer's perspective, nothing really happened. But the whole sports book erupts because the over just hit and all the people that are betting on the over go crazy. <laughs> so one thing I think would be great is if there were a way to more easily make sure that you are sitting or standing in the same area of the sports book with people who are wagering on a similar game or a similar proposition just for rooting purposes. I think that would be really great. And from a technological perspective, uh, you know, kiosks are pretty clearly the wave of the future for sports betting. Some people like waiting online and interacting with a teller but these kiosks are interactive and can handle a lot more bets and process a lot more information and i i think a sports book that is well outfitted with technology and maybe even at the individual tables has a tablet and from that tablet you can order your food order your drinks and place your bets all without having to get up Very that nice. would be a, a pretty cool convenient thing for me uh, in terms of who should be the uh, the, the spokesperson, I, I'm just going to be biased here, and, and I'll say Derek Jeter because right, to me, right. as, as a, you know, he's like a childhood hero, not only as an athlete but as someone who at least puts himself out to be just you know a good, upstanding guy of the utmost integrity. And I think really we want to make sure as there's this explosion of sports books, explosion of dollars wagered on sports, I, I think the integrity of the institution, making sure that matches aren't being fixed that money isn't being laundered through sports books is really of the utmost importance because sports betting drives unprecedented amounts of engagement toward the sports that we all love and that's going to mean more advertising dollars which means more money to spend on comfortable seats and cool amenities and player contracts and firework shows and whatnot and i think we all would be best served if sports betting is developed and regulated and expanded, you know, with a keen eye toward things like responsible gaming and integrity. So uh, a bit of a biased answer on the use of Derek <laughs> Jeter there, but I'd say a high tech sports book where there's a lot of kiosks and, and maybe even a table side betting platform combined with the ability to sit in the same area as the other patrons who are betting on the same things that I'm betting on yep. uh, that, that would serve as my ideal. Yeah, I feel like we could have another 30-minute conversation just based on your answers alone. Like, I got ideas. Those were all great ideas. You know, we're, we're definitely going to have to talk about that. We're, we're both in the same area, too. I'm over in Jersey City, so. Oh, there you go. So we'll, 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 uh, we'll have to either get on another episode or, or, or meet up for a beer and watch the Jets miserably lose uh, another game. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, once again, our guest today was Lloyd Danzig, uh, founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors. Uh, full-service consulting there for sports betting businesses that need that sort of, uh, you know, tender care that, uh, that they all do so need. Um, you know, once again, this is the Sports Predictor Podcast. I'm your host, Al Walsh. Make sure you go to sportspredictor.com. Follow us on Twitter at PredictorHQ. Once again, PredictorHQ on Twitter. Lloyd, thanks again, man. I had a blast doing this. Thank you so much, Alan. It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, you have a great day. Have a great night. All right, you too. All right, folks, All right. we will be back later this week with some more podcast episodes. Once again, sportspredictor.com. We'll see you next time.